transmission is coming to you. This transmission is coming to you. This transmission is coming to you. Welcome to your deep dive for truth. Everyone out there is searching for the truth, but sometimes the truth hurts. It can have repercussions that are detrimental to the health and safety of you and your family. The first thing all truthers need to know is that the system will always try and discredit the information provider when said provider start informing the general population and get too close to the truth. Therefore, the Deep Dive for Truth team will be wearing their COVID masks to ensure we stay safe and anonymous while providing the opinions or facts that some of you may have never heard before. The desire for truth runs deep in all truthers. If you want to know more, join us on our Deep Dive content and support the Deep Dive for Truth team with your positive responses only. Any negative response is not appreciated. Red pill or blue pill? This choice is for real. Reality is here. Would you like to know more? Welcome to Deep Dive for Truth. Welcome to Deep Dive for Truth. This is Big T for Truth. Coming to you with another bonus feature. Real quick, William Shakespeare said, uh, There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Take that, Horatio. We'd like to thank all the listeners. We got people in, I don't know, 60-something countries now listening. People are starting to tune in. Uh, the United States, it's all 50 states. And I, I really want you all to know that uh, we really appreciate that. I'm going to just keep on trucking. Support us. Go to our website. Give us a donation dollar. Give us a uh, human species dollar or a, um, you know, become ambassadors of truth. Go to Patreon. Get the early uh, read, uh, readouts on episodes. Episode 7 uh, there now. So uh, debt slaves, debt slavery, you guys, uh, you, you should all hear this one. Um, we're going to wait uh, a two-week wait, maybe three-week for each episode that's coming out. So um, this is another bonus feature that we're just going to slide in between that and uh, episode eight. So episode eight is going to be uh, how the businesses are involved with the uh, New World Order. We're going to go through and listen to a little bit of this and talk about some of this stuff. There are more things between heaven and hell than any of us have accepted. And I have the witnesses and the documents to prove it. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Stephen Grant. On May 9, 2001, 20 military, government, and corporate witnesses held a press conference in Washington, D.C. And these are folks who have been involved in so-called black budget or covert unacknowledged projects. They described a decades-long conspiracy to cover up extraterrestrial visitation to Earth. I want you to all know that uh, this is the extraterrestrial side of the information, basically ET, and the cover-ups and what's going on. Now, how does this relate to the New World Order? Well, throughout this whole people coming out and and pushing this agenda of alien species, which I've covered in all the uh, earlier episodes and the connections and the dots, the deep dives. This just tops that off. But what I really wanted everybody to hear and see is how the system is utilizing everything to um, manipulate everything and utilize governments, medias, uh, high intelligent agencies, and how they want to keep us in the dark, keep us... Like I said before, heads down and uh, working and worried about another issue besides them. These unacknowledged special access projects are taking in at least 40 to 80 billion dollars per year. And 
the study of extraterrestrial technology in covert military programs. And they are sitting on technologies that can change the world forever. This technology would liberate Earth from fossil fuels, environmental devastation, and poverty in a single generation. I didn't believe in UFOs until London Control called us in the winter of 1962 and asked us, would we chase one? Their testimony would make history. I said, well, are you going to tell the public about it? And he says, no, we don't tell the public about this. It would uh, panic the public. This was the most watched event in the history of the National Press Club. We actually did recoveries of crashed saucers. There were bodies that were involved with some of these crashes, also some were alive. It marks the beginning of the global disclosure movement. These discs were hovering off the floor without any visible means of support. They were referred to as alien reproduction vehicles. Fifteen years later, Dr. Stephen Greer opened his archives of documents and interviews. This information was refused to the President of the United States by the Director of Central Intelligence, George Bush Sr. They reveal the true story of the secrecy and of disclosure. There is no evidence I wish to emphasize that these life forms from elsewhere are hostile towards us. But there is a great deal of evidence that they are concerned with our hostility. This is that story. A couple of things. They talk about the director of the CIA, Intelligence Committee, basically an intelligence agency holding off information from the President of the United States. What they're trying to say is, even presidents of the United States are below knowing about everything and being briefed. That's an interesting thing. What's good is they cover about they cover a lot of the alien stuff that you know we need to hear about. And but on top of that, they go into what's going on with these government agencies and the control and the power over the people and the mass hysteria and using the media. So it's it's good stuff. You got to hear. The phenomenon of UFOs does exist, and it must be treated seriously. Mikhail Gorbachev. One of my biggest disappointments over the last 25 years is those who lack the courage of their convictions. One percent of the people who I've talked with, met with, or briefed had that courage. This would have all been fixed long ago. OSI. I was a counterintelligence officer at the base. During my time there, my first few months there, I was briefed into a special access program, 
involving the U U.S. government's investigation and contacts with extraterrestrials, the visitation of these extraterrestrials to, to, uh, to Earth. I can assure you that flying saucers, given that they exist, are not constructed by any power on Earth. President Harry S. Truman. And it started out with a crash at Roswell. Roswell's almost become a joke because there's so much myth and narrative around it. But if you look at the Guy Hotel document, it was a field agent sent to J. Edgar Hoover. Three so-called flying saucers had been recovered in New Mexico. Each one was occupied by three bodies of human shape, but only three feet tall. Okay, it's become the number one document viewed on the FBI website after we released this. Now the craft is it wasn't it was more or less an over egg-shaped craft. It wasn't uh, a saucer shape. That particular craft, there were some problems with number one getting it on the flatbed to take it up to Area 51. The interior craft was. Uh, it didn't have any actual levers or flight control systems that we would identify as a flight control system. But they eventually, I think, over some time figured it out. And it was done all by hands. The creatures would put their hands on controls and they'd have this headset on. And this headset would somehow control or, or help them control the aircraft. Well, they did discuss the fact that there were bodies. Extraterrestrial uh, bodies, yes. The creatures were about uh, four foot. Some of the creatures were, were, were uh, uh, mangled, uh, were heavily uh, injured, and their bodies were, were torn apart. There were four uh, aliens aboard that thing, and those aliens went to Los Alamos. And we were told that the extraterrestrial went to Kirtland Field, Kirtland Air Force Base, and then on to Los Alamos. Two pathologists said there wasn't anything in their anatomy books, there wasn't anything in Glenn Dennis, Roswell Mortician. They had never seen anything like this. First, I thought it was a child because it was small. Lieutenant Colonel Philip Corso. The head was different, the arms were spindly, the body was gray. But the creatures were uh, approximately four foot. They had uh, didn't appear to have any ears. They only had two orifices. They didn't have earlobes. They had two ear canals. They had indentation for nose, very, very big eyes. And large eyes. The fingers had no thumbs, just four four fingers. Suction devices on their tips of their fingers. You know, the four fragile fingers and the long arm, real short joint. Almost looked like they were uh, nude, but they actually uh, had a very thin but tight-fitting suit on. One was alive, uh, partially alive at the time that uh, this happened. It died in, in, I believe it was 1952. But the, the bodies of the, uh, the extraterrestrials that were found at the scene were uh, in a deep freeze, placed in a deep freeze, and sent to Wright Path Field in uh, Dayton, Ohio. One of the briefing officers that was taking us around and talking about what was going on, they said there had been over 100 crashes in that Four Corners area. I just saw a lot of crashes. Holy shit. After Roswell, there was a flurry of ET activity across the country. 
Dr. Greer spent eight years trying to persuade members of Congress and other high-level government officials of the intelligence community to disclose what was happening, but to no avail. So in 2001, he formed the Disclosure Project. What you're about to see is first-hand witness testimony of events over the past 50 years. Many are telling their stories for the first time. This is only the tip of the iceberg, as hundreds more have given us their testimony, but are too fearful to go on camera. And thousands more are out there. themselves and for their families. Thousands more are out there. That the Air Force has not been giving out all the available information on these unidentified flying objects. You cannot disregard so many unimpeachable sources. Honorable John McCormick, Speaker of the House. Now, I'm one of those, what you would call the high government officials in the FAA. I was John Callahan. There was only three or four down from the Admiral. The way it started, this Japanese uh, airline 747 was coming from the northwest, going across uh, the Alaskan uh, territory. So his radar is picking up uh, a target. He sees this target with his eye, and the target, the way he described it, was a huge ball with uh, lights running around it, four times as big as a 747. The Japanese pilot would say he's now 11 o'clock, he's now at 1 o'clock, he's now at 3 o'clock. When he would say that, the military guy would cut in and say he's now at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, and he would confirm the position. He said this is the first time they ever had 30 minutes of radar data on a UFO, and they're all itching to get their hands into the data. And if they come out and told the American public that they ran into a UFO out there, it would cause panic across the country, so therefore you can't talk about it. And they're taking all this data. And I had the pilot's report that came through, and I had the FAA's first report that was all downstairs on my table. They didn't answer that, and so I didn't give it to them. Over the Rhine River, Germany. was an F-104, which was the fastest known aircraft to mankind at that time. So we're flying down the Rhine River. We're up at high altitude. And about that time, I spot a bogey at about 10 o'clock over here. I don't recognize the craft. I said, bogey, 10 o'clock. And the captain looked over there. So well, let's find out. So he kicked it in after burn, and we went after that, and it disappeared just like that. He says, please, whatever you do, do not say anything about this encounter. You will get me in much trouble. So that was my first introduction to cover up. This is U.S. Atlantic Command, Norfolk, Virginia. So they set these drills. They would say, this is a drill, this is a drill. But they turned the light down this time, and they didn't say. All right, this is Merle Shane McDowell. Top secret side clearance with zebra stripes. U.S. Navy Atlantic Command. Retired. Um, it doesn't say when, but it looks like it's an older video. This is a drill. We had contact with an unidentified flying object that had entered our airspace. We had it on radar for almost an hour. The order was given by Admiral Train to try and get this out before down out of the sky if at all possible, by whatever means possible. What was really driving him nuts was this thing absolutely had complete control of the situation and could just be wherever it wanted to be just in a matter of seconds. One minute off the coast of Maine, the next minute it's in Norfolk. 
headed south towards Florida. After the, we found out it wasn't the Russians, they didn't care who it was or where it was from. They wanted it and wanted it bad. So if you listen to that, he said that on the radar, one minute it was off the coast of Maine up in New England, and the next minute it was over in Norfolk, Virginia. Now... We could probably do a down and distance coordinate on that map and we can figure out those speeds for you. That would be interesting because in a minute, now I've flown all over the place. It takes more than a minute to, for you to cross parts of the country. So that's incredible speeds. And he said a minute. Who knows if it was a minute? It could have been 10 seconds, 30 seconds. At times I loaded and unloaded nuclear weapons and I was considered sane, so to speak, and able to handle nuclear weapons. But apparently UFOs are... Well, I know that they're well above uh, even nuclear weapons and secrecy. One particular night, uh, we just finished our refueling mission. London Control called us and asked us if we would intercept a UFO over the center. Major Jordan Filler, Air Force retired. Stonehenge, Oxford area. We're up at 33,000 feet. The UFO was down at about 1,000 feet. We dove on it. Eventually, we got up to close to it. And we could see what looked like a cruise ship out at sea uh, with all the lights and everything. We got about a mile from it, and it went up into space. Under control said, uh, you can continue on with your mission. Apparently, uh, Prince Philip felt it was a very important. We were invited to dinner at the officers club where he was a speaker, and he knew all about the fact that we had chased the UFO. He kind of made me a believer in a sense. Uh, I had seen him personally, of course, before that, but when someone of his stature indicates that uh, they're real and probably from another planet, it's very convincing. I believe that these ET vehicles and their crews are visiting this planet from other planets, which obviously are a little more technically advanced than we are here on Earth. Astronaut Gordon Cooper. We should go boldly where man has not gone before. Fly by the comets, visit asteroids, visit the moon of Mars. There's a monolith there, a very unusual structure on this little potato-shaped object that, that goes around Mars once in seven hours. When people find out about that, they're going to say, who put that there? Who put that there? Dr. Greer has been around people with top-secret clearance his whole life. His uncle helped to design the original lunar module that put the first men on the moon. In 1961, President Kennedy challenged NASA to put Americans in space and on the moon by the end of the decade. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. The Disclosure Project archives includes testimony from extraordinary individuals who were part of this great effort to explore outer space, including astronauts Gordon Cooper and Dr. Edgar Mitchell, the sixth man to walk on the moon. Yes, there have been ET visitation. There have been crashed craft. There have been uh, uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell. And there is some group of people somewhere that may or may not be associated with government at this point, but certainly were at one time, that have this knowledge and uh, have been attempting to conceal this knowledge. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base on the back side of the moon. And I said, I said, whose? <laughs> what do you mean, whose? 
mosaics and showed showed this base which had geometric shapes there were towers there were uh, spherical uh, buildings there were very tall towers and things that looked somewhat like radar dishes but they were large structures and at that point i became frightened and i was a little terrified thinking to myself that anybody walks in the room now i know we're we're in jeopardy we're in trouble because he shouldn't be giving me this information Sarge goes into action off Midway Island in the Pacific for the return of a hero, Major Gordon Cooper. The capsule door is blown off and Cooper's flight ends, a performance that exceeded the most optimistic predictions. I was asked the cameraman film the installation of a, a precision landing facility we were putting in right on the edge of the dry lake, and the saucer flew right over and put down three little gear and landed. Colonel Gordon Cooper. And they went out, picked up their cameras, and moved on out toward him, filming. And he lifted off, put the gear back in the well, and climbed out at a very high rate of speed and disappeared. When I was involved in the research and development and doing very classified programs myself, I knew that we didn't have any vehicles of that kind. The Russians didn't have any of that type either. At that point in time, there was no doubt in my mind that this vehicle was made at some other place than here on Earth. Officially, the uh, U.S. government ended its study of UFOs in 1969 because it assured the public there is no proof the phenomenon represents a threat to national security. But what if these unknown aircraft showed an interest in our nuclear weapons? A group of more than 150 military veterans, missile officers, security personnel, including many who work at the Nevada test site, say they've seen mystery intruders over nuclear facilities. In advancing this concept, Vandenberg Air Force Base, California, has become the first aerospace operations center of the Air Force. They actually photographed the UFO following the missile as it climbed into space and shining a beam on it, which neutralized the missile. I want to make sure we get these names. This person here is Colonel Ross Dedrick Dedrickson, U.S. Air Force, retired. So that was the first guy. Following the missile as it climbed into space and shining a beam on it, which neutralized the missile. It flew into the frame. And this one is Lieutenant Robert Jacobs, Ph.D., U.S. Air Force, retired. And it shot a beam of light at the warhead, which is represented by my thumb here. So this thing fires a beam of light at the warhead, hits it, and then this thing flies up like this, fires another beam of light, goes around like this, fires another beam of light, goes down like this, fires another beam of light, and then flies out the way it came in. And the warhead tumbles out of the outer space. And when the lights came on, Major Mansman turned around, looked at me, and said, were you guys screwing around up there? And I said, no, sir. And he said, what was that? And I said, it looks to me like we got a UFO. The idea of any explosion in space by any Earth government was not acceptable to the extraterrestrials, and that has been demonstrated over and over. By the destruction of any nuclear weapons sent into space. Alstrom Air Force Base. I received a call from my top side security guard. He and some of the guards have been observing some strange lights flying around the launch control facility. And I said, well, you mean... This is Captain Robert Salas, U.S. Air Force, retired. UFO, <laughs> I think I use that word 
He didn't know what they were, but they were lights that were flying around. And I just kind of shook my head and just said, well, call me if anything more important that happens. He calls back, and this time he's very frightened. I can tell by the tone of his voice, he's, he's very shook up. And says, sir, there's a glowing red object hovering right outside the front gate. As I was relating this to him, our missiles started shutting down one by one. The Air Force did an extensive investigation of the entire incident and was not able to come up with a probable cause for the shutdowns. The, the missiles are not connected to each other. Having a fault at one site would not affect missiles at, at another location. Assuming they've always been there, what caused this? This is Gordon Creighton, British Foreign Service officer, retired. Great interest in this this large incursion after 47. And I remember he thought from that, he said, well, obviously, yes, I had a bomb. On one of the half-stage, 132-ton ballistic device, now fully operational, after an evolutionary background of more than 50 years of powered flight. Roswell was not the beginning. It was a turning point. We just dropped two bombs on a country. We had a test of that bomb a few months earlier, or a few weeks earlier, in New Mexico. This probably was observed by these... Yep. Richard C. Doty, Special Agent, U.S. Air Force, OSI, retired intelligence officer. ...somewhere, whether they were doing reconnaissance back then or how they ever figured it out. So they came here to, to observe and try to figure out what the heck was that. At the time of the crash, shortly after the detonation of the first atomic weapons, Roswell was the only nuclear arms squadron in the world. If you accept the multidimensional theory, it's highly likely that we've done a hell of a lot of damage. In somebody else's world, they might have even done more damage than we did here. The underlying theme that connects most of the Disclosure Project case files is the fact that these close encounters tend to occur near our nuclear facilities suggesting that these visitors are deeply concerned with our hostility and the existential threat that we pose to ourselves and others once we learn to split the atom. These are some of the highest ranking military officials uh, in our, our defense program. This is Daniel P. Sheehan, Esquire, constitutional attorney. So with, you know, nuclear weapons, they're trusted with top-level security clearances and secrets, but the minute that they start talking about this particular subject, they become pariah. I believe the American people are entitled to a more thorough explanation than has been given them by the Air Force. I think we owe it to the people to establish credibility regarding UFOs and to produce the greatest possible enlightenment of the subject. Former President Gerald Ford. I am prepared to state that I... Sergeant Clifford Stone, U.S. Army, retired. ...state that I have been at locations where craft of unknown origin that did not originate on the face of this planet was there. I am prepared to state that while I was there, we saw living, dead bodies of entities that were not born on this planet. I am prepared to state that we had what they referred to as interfacing with those entities. Never is there any compelling physical evidence 
The question is, who are people like Carl Sagan? And before him, Professor Donald Menzel. It turns out that Sagan, in his early career, actually spoke and wrote about UFOs in a way that was affirmative, that it was legitimate. After he was threatened by the intelligence community and blackmailed, he then began to debunk the issue. Skepticism is very healthy, and I'm a big skeptic about more than 90% of the information out there on the subject, which the public needs to be skeptical. However, skepticism is not just blindly denying everything that's legitimate. For example, we have 3,500 cases where extraterrestrial vehicles have landed and left physical traces. We have 4,000 cases where they have been tracked on radar and seen by pilots. We have an enormous amount of photo and video evidence and physical evidence. And in our last project, brought out an actual body that is most likely not of human origin. So the question becomes, what is the metric for the evidence? Well, the evidence is actually overwhelming. There's more evidence for UFOs than there are for black holes most of the theories in astrophysics, most of the evidence for most of the medicines you take. I'm speaking now as a trauma doctor. And yet, we have this blockage in the mainstream media and scientific establishment saying, where is the evidence? What do we know? We know now we live in an ever-expanding universe. We know that there are billions of stars and planets literally out there, and the universe is getting bigger. We know from our fancy telescopes that just in the last two years, more than 20 planets have been identified outside our solar system that seem to be far enough away from their suns and dense enough that they might be able to support some form of life. So it makes it increasingly less likely that we're alone. Oh, you're trying to give me a hint that there are aliens. <laughs> of course, flying saucers are real and they are interplanetary. Air Chief Marshal Lord Dowding. When I was eight or nine, I saw one of these objects, broad daylight. There was a beautiful, seamless disk in a blue sky, back when the skies were very blue. And I was with some boys in the neighborhood, and we saw this, and I went, oh my God, they're real, we saw a UFO. Now my parents said, oh well, you're just a kid. But I became completely absorbed in this. So my interest in this goes back to my childhood. The Disclosure Project was an accident of history. In 1990, I formed the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence to form a diplomatic corps to make peaceful contact with these civilizations. Because once you conclude that they're real and they're of interstellar origin, the next question is, what are we going to do about it? And so I concluded what we should be doing about it is not militarizing the relationship, but having sort of a citizen's diplomacy effort much like the physicians for social responsibility who were going to the Soviet Union to create a dialogue during the coldest days of, uh, of the Cold War. That's a great idea, except for first we got to demilitarize the superpower, the elites, and the systems that we have here before we can even look forward to doing that stuff because we've got people pulling all kinds of strings, which you're going to hear later. But yeah, it's, it's, that's a great idea, but we have to take care of uh, our house first the world and the world powers there was no one at the united nations or state department or any foreign ministry dealing with it so we started a set of protocols to make contact and sure enough we had some spectacular successes holy damn hot shit <laughs> <laughs> no. this got kicked up to the intelligence community 
So by 1992, I was getting visits from the head of Army Intelligence, uh, people inside the National Security Agency, and other three-lettered agencies. My intention was never to get involved with trying to disclose this issue. My interest was in this whole concept of making contact for peaceful purposes to advance our civilization from a planetary civilization to an interplanetary civilization. That was that was really the heart of my, my sincere idea. I like that idea. But along that way, you know, and eventually a man who was friends with the director of the CIA by the time Clinton became president, who said that you're going to be the first person to brief the director of central intelligence and the Clinton administration on this because they have made inquiries and they have been lied to, which I did not believe. I mean, he was that blunt about it. This is really where I then went down the rabbit hole. The head of the intelligence committee did not know about all the information being held back. So can the government keep a secret this big? One of the biggest weapons in the intelligence community's arsenal is our general belief that the U.S. government couldn't possibly keep a secret this big from the American public. But the existence of the National Reconnaissance Office remained secret for over 30 years. The mere existence of the NSA, jokingly referred to as no such agency, was kept secret until it grew so large that it was quite conspicuous. And those working in the Manhattan Project developing the atom bomb were told that any secrets that they disclose would result in 10 years in prison or an equivalent of a $100,000 fine. Only when the weapons were used at Hiroshima and Nagasaki did the government disclose what they were. Of, of all things to keep secret, the fact that there is this... Daniel P. Sheehan, Esquire, constitutional attorney. Uh, this bountiful option do we have of reaching out into the stars and being friendly neighbors with other civilizations and sharing information, sharing resources and sharing knowledge and sharing spiritual insights and values. To suppress that information and to conceal it is part of the efforts of the national security state that is threatened by that reality. And so this is the, one of the ultimate secrets that needs to be exposed. We have indeed been contacted, perhaps even visited, by extraterrestrial beings. And the U.S. government, in collusion with the other national powers of the Earth, is determined to keep this information from the general public. Victor Marchetti, former special assistant to the executive director of the CIA. And in this document from the Canadian government, the matter is the most highly classified subject in the United States government, rating higher than the H-bomb. That was the most top secret doomsday weapon at the time in development. And the second item, B, flying saucers exist, period. C, their modus operandi is unknown, but concentrated effort is being made by a small group headed by Dr. Vannevar Bush. And then D, the entire matter is considered by the United States authorities to be of tremendous significance. What is more sensitive than the development of the hydrogen bomb prior to its detonation? UFO issue. A priori, therefore, the entire subject has been managed in a way from the 40s onward with extraordinary secrecy around it. The event at Roswell, because it resulted in the acquisition of materiel that could be studied, it created a, a sea change in the whole national security 
organization because within uh, weeks of that event, the CIA was formed. Within weeks, there was the formation of the Air Force, which was split off from the Army Air Force. It also led, however, the development of unacknowledged special access projects, which is why Eisenhower, even though he knew about the subject on a fairly deep level, had completely lost control of it by 1961 when he left office. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. You know, because you think of generals and you think of conservatives and Republicans as being very pro-military and business, but he's talking about the illegal part of it. He's not talking about the conventional military. But it's now the military-industrial intelligence complex uh, that are moving bureaucratically toward establishing dominion and control over the entire democratic process in the country, and that they're waging war invading the Middle Eastern oil fields and occupying the oil fields, attempting to establish what they themselves refer to as full-spectrum dominance. But we're going to smoke them out. And so the public has to understand there became to be this bifurcation, this separation between legitimate national security and military operations and the deep black programs that are unacknowledged. We're talking about the black budget, the deep black, super secret unacknowledged budget that runs in the 100 to 200 billion dollars a year i'm being conservative my 03 budget calls for more than 48 billion dollars in new defense spending more money for the pentagon when its own auditors admit the military cannot account for 25 percent of what it already spends and that goes to how the money tax money from all the people working is being used for whatever the system wants it to be used for. So basically our, our funds and our work and our sweat and our livelihoods and that we pay into this to, this is just America. All countries that are in the system are doing the same thing. Estimates we cannot track $2.3 trillion in transactions. So they can't track $2.3 trillion. And I remember one YouTube thing where the senator was asking the head of the Fed, what happened to $9 trillion? that is unaccounted for and she said well we don't know and uh, I'd have to look into that and he said well you should know you're the head of the Fed and she said no I, I don't know I, I will have to look into that and we will get an answer to you um, later they never did so nine trillion was missing somewhere too um, and you wonder why we're 28 trillion in debt I mean our gross national pro product and, and the amount of money that America borrows from the world banking system should cover more than enough, but they're going deep into it and they're using it for whatever they want, basically for the end game. Three trillion with a T. That's $8,000 for every man, woman, and child in America. We're spending well over $100 million per day on classified programs that have no congressional oversight, no public scrutiny, uh, there's no monitor of these programs. A number of these programs go directly through Congress, totally. When you start going through these documents, these programs start dropping off the radar screen. These are all classified programs within the defense budget, but they don't supply any technical information on the program. And if people think that the Congress and the President actually have a handle on this, they're gravely mistaken. They do not. 
this is where we get into the structure of secrecy. The structure of secrecy is complex and multifaceted. We've been led to believe that we live in a mostly transparent democracy, with the president at the top of the intelligence food chain, a true commander-in-chief. The reality, however, is much different. Senator Daniel Inouye. His own Navy, his own fundraising mechanism, and the ability to pursue his own ideas of the national interest, free from all checks and balances, and free from the law itself. There's secrecy that is legal, and unfortunately, where Edward Snowden made his mistake was by disclosing secrets, no matter how inappropriate it might have been that they were going on, that were being managed legally that the president and Congress and the intelligence committees knew about. A traitor, a traitor to the United States. On the other hand, there's secrecy that is illegal. And these are the unacknowledged special access projects, USAPs, USAP for short. What they've done is they've formed this alliance among themselves of the industry that makes money by building war machines, the military that uses the war machines and justifies them, uh, and then the intelligence community that is not really an intelligence community, it's a covert operations community, armed with military weapons and nuclear weapons, and that they're trying to push the boundaries now of establishing their dominion in full-spectrum dominance over the planet. And in this document, first document that's on the briefing for President Obama's brief we put together that we gave to John Podesta, this document lists the compartmented operations out of the Nellis facility, what the public wrongly calls Area 51. I gave this document to the head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Tom Wilson, operations out of the Nellis facility. So the Nellis facility is the real name of Area 51, in case you didn't know. ...document that's on the briefing for President Obama's brief we put together that we gave to John Podesta. This document lists the compartmented operations out of the Nellis facility, what the public wrongly calls Area 51. I gave this document to the head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Tom Wilson. Now this is J2. This is the guy who puts the intelligence briefings together for the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States of America. And he got hold of one of these compartments and he said, hello, I'm Admiral Tom Wilson. I want to be read into or briefed on this project. They said, yes, sir, we know who you are and you don't have a need to know. You don't have a need to know. The head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff so this is where the military have been victims of the secrecy because there are many generals and admirals and very good officers I've met with who have enormous responsibility that everyone, if you polled a thousand people on the street, I think every single person would say something this sensitive they would know about and if they didn't have knowledge about it, if they asked about it, they will be told. That is not true. There are very clear efforts to engage in covert programs and to keep the knowledge of those programs away from people, even in positions of constitutional authority. Uh, Dick Cheney, he would have a need to know. They call him Darth Cheney. We're talking about people way up in the defense industry, people who are running this complex, people like Ben Rich, like Kelly Johnson. So these unacknowledged special access projects do not care what your rank and position is. They care about one thing. Will you go along with their agenda? And this is exactly what happened when I met with the Lord Hill North. Since my name has become 
connected with UFO matters in quite... Lord Hill Norton, Admiral of the Fleet, Royal Navy. ...a big way in this country. I have frequently been asked by a person of my background, a former chief of the defense staff, a former chairman of the NATO military committee, what the reasons may be for governments wishing to cover up the facts about UFOs. That, I believe, is because governments fear that if they did disclose those facts, people would panic. The only thing he really wanted to know was, I was head of the Ministry of Defense, head of the military committee for NATO, head of MI5, MI6, why wouldn't they have told me? And I said, well, sir, with all due respect, what would you have done if you'd found out that there was a project that was illegal, engaged in assassinations, that was keeping from not only our leaders and our constitutionally required oversight, technologies and information that would enable us to have a whole new civilization on this planet without pollution or dependency on Mideast oil or what have you. And he says, I wouldn't have stood for it for a bloody minute. And he was just in a rage about it. I said, that's why they didn't tell you. Several U.S. presidents are on record talking about the UFO mystery. Yeah, Presidents Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, both had UFO sightings of their own, but the current presidential campaign might be the first in which UFO disclosure has been championed by a major party candidate. We had your husband, President Clinton, on this show. He said, I asked him about UFOs in Area 51, and, and if you if you looked in, because if I was president, that's the first thing I do. I go right into those files and right. see what was going on. Right. And he said that he did do that. Yes. And that he didn't find anything. Well, I'm oh. gonna I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do it again. Yeah. Why not? Right. And and you know, there's a new name. It's unexplained aerial phenomenon unexplained aerial phenomenon yep. really yeah uap that's the latest nomenclature i like the old one i like ufo i don't know why within a couple months of me briefing the cia director i get a visit from one of bill clinton's good friends to my home who says they love what you're recommending that the president do executive orders to declassify and bring all this information out this man comes to my house and says they really think that's a great idea president won't do it it's too dangerous and I said well <laughs> he's the president if he didn't want to be president he shouldn't have taken on the responsibility and sworn an oath to the Constitution and he says yeah but you don't understand they don't think that they can protect the president and I said what do you mean and he's sitting at the, at the dinner table with my children and he says well they're concerned uh, that President Clinton will end up like Jack Kennedy and I start laughing I really I mean I really started laughing out loud because I thought this is nonsense. This is like conspiracy kookville. He says, no, this is absolutely their concern, is that if he pushes on this, he is in mortal peril. Kennedy may have been engaged in a bit of a struggle with the CIA. Gordon Creighton, British Foreign Service officer, retired. They attempted to get more information. He is in mortal peril.
So while I was getting that, he's looking at the papers. I came back in, President Kennedy says, well, what do you think? I looked at him, I looked down at the picture, and I says, well, sir, what do you think? And with that magnificent grin of his, he said, I asked you first. I said, from what I've learned, we can't be the only living beings in God's creation. And he says, you're right, young man. There is considerable knowledge as far as the actual being of UFO and ET phenomena that we're aware of today. I am convinced that UFOs exist because I've seen one. President Jimmy Carter. When President Carter was elected, I was the legal counsel for the Jesuit National Headquarters in Washington, D.C. He called the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, George H.W. Bush, to a meeting and asked Bush if, as he as the director of Central Intelligence, would give to Carter as the president-elect all the information he had on the potential existence of extraterrestrial life and the issue of whether or not any of the UFO vehicles might be vehicles from another star system. And George H.W. Bush refused to give him uh, the information. He said he had to go to Congress and get Congress to have the Congressional Research Service at the Library of Congress declassify it to get it to him if he was going to get it. That, that's a true story. In some of these cases, absolutely, the president has no need to know because he's a temporary employee. He's strictly a temporary employee. He does not have a need to know on some of these deeper black programs within the Skunk Works, within the Boeing Phantom Works, and also within the uh, Black Widow Group of Northrop. Congressional Research Service of the Library of Congress, their Science and Technology Division, based on all the information uh, classified and declassified that they have reviewed, that their projection was that there were at least from two to six other highly intelligent, highly technologically developed, but non-human civilizations just in our Milky Way galaxy. There was deep concern that something this important would be kept out of the, the, the briefings for the president. My sort of coming of age, which was hard, They're just, he's talking about the CIA director that was basically... It's terrible. Frankly, it was devastating. Yeah. Initially, I have to admit, the CIA director... R. James Woolsey, CIA director from 1993 to 
that is the original invitation. And in that letter, it is explicit. I talked to Woolsey this morning, and he suggested getting together. There is an active attempt being made at lower levels of government to sabotage Project Starlight, which is the initiative I started and Lawrence Rockefeller helped fund to bring all these top secret people together and recommend these changes to the Clinton administration. And then he says, this group almost certainly has tapped your phones and is aware of most of the details of your plans. Remember, the most powerful people in the world will have a deep, compelling interest in our activities and will use everything at their disposal to effect their objective. So that statement there is what I'm up against. Think about that. I'm trying to work all this knowledge and connect the dots and inform people and to help people in the human species. And uh, that's what I'm heading down this road. So that's okay. It is what it is. At least I can say I did something for our people and our species and our humankind before they do something to all of us. Your support is needed, appreciated, and it's when you support us so we can go on missions and we can bring out this particular answers to the things that you want to know, then it's helping our species. Again, I don't know how long I'm going to be allowed to keep talking, and we'll just go back to this because they will do everything to shut us down, and they control the media. So you're getting this before they can stop it. And if it stops, then you know why. <laughs> oh, oh, come on. This is like a bad, you know, conspiracy novel. Except this became my life. Uh, I think I just became the first president to ever publicly mention Area 51. <laughs> How's that, George? So, based upon what Jimmy Carter has said, and based upon what Bill Clinton has said, that they were refused this information. I believe that is unconstitutional for them to refuse to give the information to the President of the United States. Many of the Disclosure Project witnesses have had a close encounter with another facet of the structure of secrecy. People who did not agree with this extraordinary secrecy and made trouble for them ended up having horrific things happen. He was talking about... Stephen Lovkin, U.S. Army cryptographer, retired. Uh, ...being erased. And I said, man, I said, what do you mean, erased? He said, yes. He said, you will be erased. If you tell anyone who is not in this room about this project, this bullet has your name on it, and it will find you. Measures have been taken by agencies to terminate people who are who appear to be inconvenient or troublesome as you're known to me. But at a hell of a time after I've told this Lieutenant Robert Jacobs, PhD, US Air Force retired. Story, but I continue to tell the story because I think it's important for people to understand that this sort of shit goes on in the government. That the government covers up information that we are entitled to know about as citizens of this country. They'll go after not only you, he said, they'll go after your family. They, they were like, look, man, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna just, we're gonna. This is Jonathan Wagant, Lance Corporal, U.S. Marine Corps. We're gonna take you off in a helicopter and just kick your ass out, out of, out of the jungle. We're just gonna do it. Yeah, we're gonna end you and all this. They were never there. This never happened. When I asked them at the time, I said, well, I don't know why you're saying this. I mean, it's, uh, if there was something there, and if it's not the, uh, the, the stealth bomber, then, you know, it's a UFO. 
If it's a UFO, why wouldn't you want to let the people know? Oh, they get all excited over that. You don't even want to say those words. There have been uh, dozens and dozens of, of totally, absolutely important, credible people who've had their careers ruined intentionally by the national security and bureaucracy uh, because they tried to come forward and fulfill what they viewed to be their, their duty to report this to their superiors. Three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, midnight, 10 o'clock, uh, people call and start screaming at them. You're going down, motherfucker, you're going down, motherfucker. And he just said, let's see, don't go ahead Glenn Dennis Roswell Mortician. Who do you tell? You were involved in a UFO. John Callahan, FAA Division Chief, retired. Incident without them looking at you like you, you ain't wrapped too tight. One night somebody blew up my mailbox with a big load of skyrockets in it. The mailbox went up in flames. And that night at 1 o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. I picked it up and somebody said, Skyrockets in your box at night. Oh, what a beautiful sight, motherfucker. Interestingly, there was a man on my executive committee who was a very well-known actor and singer named uh, Burl Ives. And Burl Ives, <laughs> he was a 33rd degree Mason. So all of you people who think that all these secret societies, everyone in it knows everything, they don't know anything. And he said to me, he says, we all know that Marilyn Monroe didn't die of an overdose. He said, do you know why they killed Marilyn? This president, Marilyn Monroe. It's a, a virtual death warrant because she was found a couple days later. 3 August 1962, a wiretap of telephone conversations between reporter Dorothy Kilgallen, who was looking into Roswell and other UFO issues, and her close friend Howard Rothberg. From wiretap of telephone conversation of Marilyn Monroe and Attorney General Bobby Kennedy, Rothberg discussed the apparent comeback of the subject with Kilgallen and the breakup with the Kennedys. This is referring to the fact that Marilyn Monroe had been having an affair with not one but both Kennedy brothers and it was becoming conspicuous so they broke it off. Rothberg indicated in so many words that she had secrets to tell, no doubt, arising from her trysts with the President and the Attorney General. One such secret mentions the visit of the President at a secret air base for the purpose of inspecting things from outer space. Now, this is 1962. Kogan said that if the story is true, it would be a terrible embarrassment for Jack and his plans to have NASA put men on the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. The subject repeatedly called the Attorney General and complained about the way she was being ignored by the President and his brother. Subject threatened to hold a press conference and would tell all. It's a tragic situation because she was an actress. She didn't understand the national security state and the viciousness of those who want to keep these sort of secrets. The aliens won't let it happen. <laughs> you reveal all their secrets. They, they exercise strict control over us. Now, you know, there are a lot of people that are going to examine your, your facial expressions here, um, every, every twitch, everything, oh, no. and say, and of course, so did you look? Did you see? Did you explore? I, I, I can't reveal anything. Oh, really? Because President Clinton said he did go right in, and he did check, and there was nothing. Well, you know, that's, that's what we're instructed to say. <laughs> One of the most powerful elements of the structure of secrecy has to do with the infiltration and control over mainstream media. It's the media.
So this is a little uh, take from uh, a band Saturday Night Live cartoon that they were just putting it out there and they banned it. observed firsthand the intelligence community influencing the media when they're trying to cover this story. We have memoranda after memoranda after memoranda citing the psychological warfare and propaganda value of the subject. This is a very important thing for the public to understand. How do you keep something secret? You hide it in plain sight. And I suspect that uh, unless uh, uh, the Defense Department proves us otherwise that it was probably uh, some form of an alien spacecraft. And I think as a public figure you have to be very careful about what you say because uh, people can have pretty uh, emotional reactions and, and, uh, and I said my goal wasn't to try to stir the pot. And now I'll ask Officer Stein and his colleagues to escort the accused into the room so that we may all look upon the guilty party. Don't get him too close to me please. <laughs> In the alien costume, the governor's chief of staff. Now this just goes to show that you guys are entirely too serious. <laughs> so it's there. Everyone, I mean, there's 5% of the U.S. population have seen these objects. But you create an environment where the subject is so pilloried and ridiculed that no respectable scientist or doctor would want to be identified with it. The internal documents from the Defense Department intelligence agencies explicitly stating. So this is going to go into uh, an episode that we're going to be talking about later. I want to get closer to the top of the pyramid and the system. Basically secret weapons that are used in a quiet war. Basically media and all that intel and all the companies and all that stuff. We'll go into that later. So that'll be a little tidbit right there for when we uh, put out that episode. They want to have this campaign of ridiculing and destroying the credibility of completely credible, completely honest eyewitnesses to UFO sightings and even sightings of extraterrestrial beings on the ground that they want them discredited. They want their credibility destroyed. If someone comes out and says, I saw a UFO on TV, the only ones that see a UFO in the TV programs are the rednecks out in the country that uh, that are going coon hunting or, or alligator hunting at night, you don't find uh, anybody with any kind of smarts or, or uh, some professional individual saying, hey, you know, last night, let me tell you what I saw. And this officially was released by the CIA, talking about how they have people embedded in all the major media to change, alter, and affect stories to their benefit. You are fake news. So every news... Richard C. Doty again, Special Agent, U.S. Air Force, OSI, Intelligence Officer, retired. Agency, uh, every television, radio station in the Albuquerque, Santa Fe area had our snitches in there. So we knew, and we paid them. We paid them good money. controversial that that was somewhat controversial you know of national media that have had oh yes yes yeah i'm not gonna name them we now have relationship with reporters from every underlying major wire service newspaper news weekly and television network in the nation in many instances we have persuaded reporters to postpone change hold or even scrap 
stories that could have adversely affected national security interests or jeopardized our sources and methods. And it goes on to then say that they have the same within academic circles. Going into the New World Order and the intelligence agencies working for uh, the elites and the system. They're basically paying with the world money, basically our money, our sweat money and back-breaking money. Infiltrators, people to and you know, that control media, that control education, that control what people think, what people say, so that way if you go against the grain, that one, they're going to know about it, but two, they're going to ridicule you, so you won't do that out loud vicious system it's a um, beyond beyond control system over the human species and they're using it throughout the world so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out a finding that the light committee made that they they have verified 42 full-time central intelligence agency paid employees that were inserted inside the major national news media centers and most of them ended up being the so-called national security reporters. The man turned to me, and this is a board member of Time Life, and said, Dr. Greer, we basically are scribes taking dictation from the right hand of the king. The fourth estate is dead. And there you have it. Basically, they know that they're working for the king. And I've brought up many a times, you know, all we're doing is getting scraps from Longshank's table. The king, uh, William Wallace, talked about freedom. He talked about our God-given rights, and that's what I'm talking about here. So this is just helping you realize, you know, that it's true and that it's coming. It's it's out there, uh, but they don't want you to know about it. But if you listen to this stuff, you'll you'll hear the truth. Uh, reporters for Time Magazine who told me specifically that they've provided the stories and their editors have spiked them. Yeah, the high-level producers and directors. Yeah. And were they, how were they paid? Cash. Yeah, you pay. What you do is you make them sign a form and you tell them, you got to report this to IRS. But whether they do it or not, you, you know, you're, you're not going to give your form to IRS. I paid, I paid, I oh, better not say. There were, some of them were large. If you, Miss McLean, know of any proof about aliens, you can give it to me, and I guarantee you I will get it out. But I am skeptical. Based upon my experience representing NBC and, and representing the New York Times, I know that they will refuse to, to publish information, which in my judgment is clearly important information for the public to know. The corruption of the media means that you have then undermined democracy and our uh, basic constitutional protections. Because if you control the information flow through the elite media, and the only place you can get this information is through the tabloids, where they want it, because it's discredited there, or on the internet, where there's so much false information that's mixed in with the real information that you don't know what to make of it, there creates this complete confusion. When you go to a supermarket checkout and you look at the tabloids, what you may be reading there are actual stories of actual events, but when it's portrayed through the tabloids, it gets discredited and they're ridiculed. So that's how they can put some stuff out there and then make it look ridiculous. So they pretty much can control all the things, all the, you know, whatever they want to say and handle how they want to handle things. That's where we're heading. 
as a species and these elites will not stop there but let's finish this whole thing about the aliens couriers are destroyed uh, pursuant to a very specific self-conscious official program now this has worked for 50 years why would they change it now this is the technique they use it is time for the truth to be brought out Behind the scenes, high-ranking Air Force officers are soberly concerned about the UFOs. But through official secrecy and ridicule, many citizens are led to believe the unknown flying objects are nonsense. I urge immediate congressional action to reduce the dangers from secrecy about unidentified flying objects. CIA Director, Vice Admiral, Roscoe Hilenke. And so we're sort of living in a Truman Show. Everyone thinks we have a free press. We don't. We have a, a democratic process where all these sorts of sensitive issues would be handled legally. We do not. And that we have an uncorrupted scientific establishment, which we do not and which we will prove. The structure of secrecy extends to the scientific and academic arenas, where a deliberate effort to spread disinformation has been going on for decades. From professional debunkers to CIA-funded committees, our trusted academics and scientists have been complicit in the secrecy. A lot of people see something, and a lot of people see things that are really they can't identify, but that doesn't mean they were, it's quite a leap. I believe that people report seeing things they cannot identify, but I, after spending 25 years, I've found not a shred of evidence that we have alien visitors in our skies. Oh, but, but, but this would be the greatest discovery in the history of science. NASA would be elated. Of course, they'd go to Congress and get more funding. Why would anybody cover this? Let's do, let's do, let's, let's do this other little thought experiment, everybody. So you're going to do this with, with baking soda and vinegar, Bill? In 1952, Project Blue Book was launched by the U.S. Air Force to allay fears from the public of ET activity and to assure them that they were doing everything in their power to look into this. I am here to discuss the so-called flying saucer. The Air Force interest in this problem has been due to our feeling of an obligation to identify security state infrastructure to ridicule and dismiss cases that they know positively are cases of genuine sightings of UFOs and extraterrestrial beings. That's perfectly clear. Project Blue Book was headed up by Dr. J. Allen Hyman, a professor of physics and astronomy at Ohio State University. Hyman eventually came clean and said you were there to debunk these cases, not to get to the truth and tell the public. And I know the, the, the job they had. Uh, they were told... Dr. J. Allen Hynek, in his later years, and out of his own words, and his, out of his mouth. Not to excite the public. Uh, don't uh, rock the boat. And I saw it in my own eyes happen that whenever a case happened that they could explain, which is quite a few, they made point of that and, and let that out to the media. Cases that were very difficult to explain, they would jump handsprings to keep the media away from it. They had a job to do to keep the public from getting excited. However, there have been a certain percentage of this volume of reports 
that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. It is this group of observations that we now are attempting to resolve. In response to Project Blue Book, an academic committee was formed in 1953 called the Robertson Panel. Comprised of some of the most respected physicists and astronomers of the day, the Robertson Panel was tasked with providing a fair and independent academic analysis of the UFO case files. And in this document, it says point blank that the people who are on this committee are answering and working with the CIA, but that can't be disclosed. In response to Project Blue Book, an academic committee was formed in 1953 called the Robertson Panel. Howard Robertson, mathematician. Louis Alvarez, physicist, radar expert, and Nobel Prize recipient. Physicist and astronomers of the day. Frederick C. Durant, CIA officer and missile expert. The Robertson panel was Samuel Abraham Goudsmit, Brookhaven National Laboratory's nuclear physicist. Providing a fair and Thornton Lay Page, astrophysicist. Academic analysis of Lloyd Berkner, physicist. The UFO case and that was the whole scientific team working with the CIA. In this document, it says point blank that the people who are on this committee are answering and working with the CIA, but that can't be disclosed. And these are esteemed scientists in academic university settings. It says point blank when there's a very strong piece of evidence. We need to set up something so we release certain type of balloons and film it so that it will look like that, to sort of debunk it. And we need to engage astronomers and amateur astronomers and set up a sighting situation where we show them some evidence and then show them how it's debunked. Fast forward to 1968. The Condon Committee was formed, led by Dr. Edward Condon, a professor of physics at the University of Colorado. Now, ostensibly, this was an objective scientist who was heading up a committee to tell the truth, because I'm a scientist. These guys are scientists second. They're humans first. And it says it cannot be allowed to be known that Dr. Condon et al. are actually working with the CIA for these psychological warfare and spin factors. So every time he says that, uh, you know, these things that it said it he's they're showing actual government documents that have been released that they got released from the U, US government so they've got the documents stating these things so it's kind of neat that they have that here included that this was not an objective study Dr. Robert Wood aerospace engineer at all are actually working with the CIA for these psychological warfare and spin factors I concluded that this was not an objective study so I uh, wrote a letter to Condon, and he was so furious at that that he called up James S. McDonald, who was at that time the, the chairman of the newly merged Douglas and McDonald aircraft companies, and tried to get me fired. This is in these documents. It is, this, this is not a theoretical case. This is why I say you form a committee when you want to kill somebody. I must admit, that any favorable mention of the flying saucers by a scientist amounts to extreme heresy and places the one making the statement in danger of excommunication by the scientific theocracy. Frank B. Salisbury, 
PhD. And from the very first meeting I, I had with the director of Central Intelligence, I didn't need to convince him that the UFOs were real. I mean, in fact, I pulled out all this dispositive evidence that Carl Sagan would want to see. And he said, I already know this is real. But I want to know why I, the CIA director, James Woolsey, and the president of the United States aren't being told anything about it. The why is always the hardest question to ask, and nobody asks it. And I began to explain to him what it really is. It's a big technological question. We have lost a hundred years of evolution on planet Earth. A true lost century. Huge progress was made in the 1920s as Nikola Tesla developed energy generation technologies that could power the Earth, drawing endless free energy from the so-called empty space around us. So-called empty space isn't really empty at all. It's actually full of energy. So instead of being like kind of a quiet, empty lake, it's more like the froth at the base of a waterfall or something. The amount of energy in a cubic meter of space-time was 10 to... Mark McClandish, military aeronautical illustrator. 26 power, so 10 with 26 zeros behind it, joules per cubic meter. And that's enough energy, even in a coffee cup, to boil all the oceans of the Earth completely away into steam. The acronym Unidentified Flying Object is a deliberately obfuscating term. And what it really is, is an alternative energy and propulsion system. They had a piece of they thought with plexiglass, a rectangular piece of uh, plexiglass, for years before they figured out it was the energy device for the craft. And it was connected in such a manner that this device could power a very small watch up to a city. Power was determined by what the demand on it was. And so each craft had one of these. The implications of free energy go far beyond keeping the lights on in your home or running your car without gasoline. Most of the cost of making anything, from growing food to constructing a skyscraper, is the energy used to mine the raw materials out of the ground. Ship, process, ship again, package, and deliver. A free energy society, in which the cost of manufacturing and agriculture move towards zero, would mean endless abundance for everyone on Earth. They already exist. It's not like they even have to be invented. You and I, the taxpayers, have already paid trillions of dollars, literally, in super secret black budget funding to develop these systems. This is the society we could have had a century ago. We could get rid of smog. We could get rid of pollution. Uh, you wouldn't even need solar panels at this point. We could change transportation in, an, in a microsecond. The way we build homes would be completely different. The way we govern our lives would be completely different. And all the literally hundreds of trillions of dollars in assets that are in coal, natural gas, uranium, nuclear power, public utilities, they're all obsolete. Many people would say, well, doesn't that mean the secrecy's been a good thing? I said, well, that would be like saying we should have never come out with the automobile because the horse and buggy manufacturers would have gone out of business or come out with computers because royal typewriters didn't get ahead of the curve and they went out of business. When we go outside and we look at our cars, we look at our airplanes, we're already looking at dinosaur technology. It's laughable where we are right now. We should be at least 100 years ahead of where we are right now. And there are still files on this issue classified top secret from 100 years ago for the same reason.
Now, what, what do you think? What is the real reason? If they were to do that, imagine, imagine the population boom, imagine the ability to have intellectual deepening of the mind and communication and be able to really focus on interstellar um, and, and have you know the human species accelerate and be awesome. But uh, they, they feel that the 95% of the people are a threat uh, to the, their survival and that we are not smart enough or above a certain level to be part of that club. What's crazy is our 7.5 billion people uh, are being controlled by 500 million people. It's just just mind-boggling that, that, that they can get away with this with the elites and the governments of throughout the world. To be at least a hundred years ahead of where we are right now. And there are still files on this issue classified top secret from a hundred years ago for the same reasons. Because the macroeconomic order of fossil fuels, petrodollar, a handful of industrial elites and corporations be completely transformed. But the folks who actually call the shots in the multi-trillion dollar global economy, they don't want to see that happen. They know that if that power was, you know, delineated to the average person, we wouldn't need them anymore. They don't want it today, and the likes of J.P. Morgan and others back 100 years ago didn't want it. When they found out that Tesla had passed away... Mark Bean, inventor and historian. ...way in the Hotel New Yorker, they came in, they had the manager of the hotel open the safe, and they took all of Tesla's papers. And this was to the director of the FBI from the Department of Defense in a turf war trying to get that information and then lock it up. This is not a contested document. This has been officially released. A century of artificial scarcity has produced a destabilized, dehumanized, war-torn world where the power and wealth have been transferred from the many to the hands of the few. If you take that on, you're going to run into the mother of all buzz saws. Mother of all buzz saws. That's where I'm heading. <laughs> yeah, but again, our God-given right is that we should all have the piece of the pie. We should be allowed to be into the fields that the straw man is keeping us out of, or the scarecrow uh, and the elites. Isn't it time for us to band together and utilize the system so we can push back and maybe even nudge the system or maybe even jump tracks and, and fix the system. So we're for the human species, for this world has got the energies, it's got the powers, it's got all that stuff. We just need to uproot the elites and take over and put everything out to the public that we have and use it, utilize it for the best ability for our human species as a whole and no more starvation and no more cold and hunger and I mean no more hopefully we can uh, affect the, the disease issues and control the uh, the diseases that are making into bioweapons um, to use against us so we only have a certain amount of time folks I'm just telling you we only have a certain amount of time this is Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Beer, Ph.D., U.S. Army. Uh, Thomas Bearden, excuse me. 5,135, I believe it is, patents that have been confiscated under national security seizures. 
Now these are just the patents, and this is what happened to a lot of the huge breakthrough technologies like Stan Meyer, who had a car running on water. A local inventor has discovered a way, hear this, to use water to run your car. It's a major breakthrough that will no doubt make motorists happy. And as Ralph Robinson explains, the Pentagon is also showing lots of interest in this project. A lot of people don't realize that Stan Meyer had a toroidal, a donut-shaped object that put out many times more energy than you had to put into it because it was tapping into this zero-point quantum vacuum energy field. That had a national security order on it before he even got it to patent. It was seized and shut down. What we really had was a threat to the scientific... This is Dr. Eugene Maloff, founder of the uh, Energy Foundation. I view this as the greatest strategic threat to survival of the United States and, in fact, of civilization itself. Who's going to stop this from happening? The president doesn't know it's occurring. The Congress oversight committees have no idea what's going on. And you have these people who are in the deep national security state who basically do what they want. The problem is most of these inventors think that the world's going to be the path to their door. Unfortunately, Murder Incorporated beats the path to their door first. But free energy technology was only one half of the equation when it came to advanced extraterrestrial technology. Early research into anti-gravity technology gained momentum in the 1940s, as Adolf Hitler poured tremendous resources into developing his secret weapon, the so-called Flying Bell. Once we acquired these technologies, they were augmented with the study of retrieved extraterrestrial craft, and we created our own fleet of so-called alien reproduction vehicles. This is where Bell Labs was involved. This is where General Electric was involved. This is where a number of high-tech companies gained their knowledge. Lockheed Martin Scuff Works and EG&G and Raytheon and E-Systems and Mitre Corporation and Booz Allen Hamilton and on and on and on. I know many people who've worked in these programs. Well, we have things flying in a Nevada desert that are 50 years beyond what you could comprehend. If you've seen it on Star Wars or Star Trek, we've been there, done that, or decided it wasn't worth the effort. So that's coming from Ben Rich. Ben Rich, head of the Skunk Works between 1975 and 1991. This is the original letter from Ben Rich on uh, Lockheed Advanced Aeronautics Company letterhead. I am a believer, and so is Kelly Johnson. And here it says, Dear Ben, there are two categories. A, man-made UFOs. B, extraterrestrial UFOs. Dear John, yes, I'm a believer in both categories. I feel everything is possible. Many of our man-made UFOs were unfunded opportunities. In both categories, there are lots of kooks and charlatans. Be cautious, Ben Rich. We now have the technology to take E.T. home. Ben Rich, CEO, Lockheed Skunk Works. It is being covered up, but probably not for the reasons you might think. With Mark McCandlish. Military Aeronautical Illustrator. For the reasons you might think. Within the intelligence communities, they have something called ace-in-the-hole technologies. So secret they didn't even talk about it. November 12th of 19...
1988 was their dog and pony show, a classified military exhibit at Norton Air Force Base. And then off in a separate section of the hangar behind a curtain, which was opened up once everyone had gathered, were three of these so-called alien reproduction vehicles, or ARVs. The craft itself was hovering off the floor with no landing gear underneath it, nothing supporting it from above. To see something, you know, travel across 12 miles of airspace in under a second and a half, make a couple of right angle turns and not make a supersonic shockwave of any kind, no sonic boom, which I've personally witnessed on a number of occasions. I mean, it's just, it changes your whole perspective. There were some very good folks like Secretary Forrestal and others who wanted to bring the subject out, but in a way where there would be contact that would be peaceful between humans and these civilizations. But there were other people who saw the big gold mine of militarism and war profiteering and the psychological warfare value. Their mandate, repeat, their mandate is to lie, deny, and deceive. There are people who've had uh, experiences with the technology that we're not able to handle it psychologically because it just it defies reality. And in this document, the CIA director, Walter Smith, says, I am today transmitting to the National Security Council a proposal in which it is concluded that the problems connected with unidentified flying objects appear to have implications for psychological warfare as well as for intelligence and operations. We have to take a step back from all the jargon and all the paranoia in Star Wars movies for just a minute and realize that it's very easy to set up a false flag operation. A false flag operation also known as a false indication and warning, is a military tactic in which you create the illusion of a threat, often by attacking yourself and blaming the desired enemy. It's proven extremely effective at uniting the public around a perceived threat. And this is actually a, a well-known concept in military intelligence circles. We did it in the Gulf of Tonkin in Vietnam where we exaggerated, if not completely staged an attack on our naval vessels so we would stampede President Johnson and the Congress into vastly expanding the Vietnam conflict to benefit, guess who, the military industrial complex and the war profiteers. U.S. military officials, for example, for, have, have planned throughout the project called Operation Northwoods back in 1962 to dress up Cuban refugees in, in Cuban military uniforms have them attack Guantanamo base and kill U.S. military personnel, sink uh, U.S. military ships, and blow up uh, shopping centers in Miami, targeting, killing uh, refugees from Cuba to infuriate the American uh, population so that they can invade and occupy Cuba. It's astonishing that anybody would dare to make a recommendation like that, but they did. And they just showed it in writing and documents. concocted all kinds of false information about weapons of mass destruction, which Saddam Hussein did not have, and it was known in intelligence circles he didn't have. Fracture that whole part of the world, and now we have ISIS. So we have to realize the machinations and manipulations that go on behind the scenes leave us very vulnerable. And the big one is this one where they could say, oh yes, the UFOs are real, but guess what? They're a threat.
And we need to unite the world, like Will Smith said in the original Independence Day. Something you want to add to this briefing, Captain Hiller? No, sir. I'm just a little anxious to get up there and whoop E.T.'s ass, that's all. <laughs> Efforts on the part of a certain element within the kind of ruling structures of our planet to try to utilize the discovery of extraterrestrial intelligence as an ultimate threat, ultimate other bad guys. And they're going to use that theory to weaponize space, weaponize the people, and to gain control and martial law. Uh, start getting rid of the troublemakers before they start, you know, getting rid of the masses. Justify the national security state uh, dream of locking down and putting under complete control of an authoritarian ruling class the control of the planet and the resources. The nations of the world will have to unite. For the next war will be an interplanetary war. The nations of the Earth must someday make a common front against attack by people from other planets. General Douglas MacArthur. Well. Did you realize that we, that you and I, that all of us, have actually begun the exploration of another world? We have taken the first historic step into our solar system. I'm Werner von Braun. Werner von Braun was one of the top scientists brought to the U.S. from Germany after World War II as part of Operation Paperclip. He invented the V-2 rocket for Adolf Hitler and became the chief architect of the Saturn V rocket for NASA's Apollo moon missions. In his deathbed confession, von Braun warned of a plot to pull off the ultimate false flag using back-engineered alien reproduction vehicles to stage an invasion from outer space. When Von Braun was dying in front of me the very first day that I met him, he had tubes. This is Dr. Carol Rosen, former manager of Fairchild Industries, worked with Dr. Braun. Draining out of his side. And he was tapping on the desk, telling me, you will come to Fairchild. I was a school teacher. You will come to Fairchild, and you will be responsible for keeping weapons out of space. The strategy that Werner von Braun taught me was that first the Russians were the enemy against whom we're going to build space-based weapons. Then terrorists would be identified. Then we were going to identify third-world country crazies. The last card is the alien card. And all of it, he said, is a lie. A lie. All of it is a lie to create world control, new world order, one world government, the system dominance over the people, and then they can do what they want. Have you been exposed or did you come across in, in your career and your network um, the, the false INW or, or the deceptive indication and warnings projects related to this? Yes. And what did you find out? Um, that's pretty, cla that's pretty hush, that's, I, I don't think I should talk about that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's right, when I briefed the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, that was the main subject. That is, um, yeah, that's very, uh, sensitive, yeah, it's very yeah. sensitive, yeah. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. that 
if you look at the technologies that permit for interplanetary interstellar travel, it's a thousand times more developed than a hydrogen bomb, which, if we were to have a massive exchange of nuclear weapons, would leave most of all life on Earth extinguished. Therefore, how could we possibly have armed conflict with another planetary system for more than a nanosecond and survive it? They know that we couldn't. But it's a way of manipulating the public with demagoguery of fear, jingoism, false nationalism, and creating a boogeyman out of space. This is an actual U.S. Army recruitment video. Foreign leader. I know I've been taking orders from her since she was five years old. So you don't worry about her? Of course I worry about her. I fought in the war in 96. I know what those things are capable of. But I know what my daughter is capable of. And I know this planet is safer because she's defending it. At the end of the commercial, it said, uh, it had some writing. Victory aliens defeated. So this is a new uh, army recruitment video. It says, be someone's hero. Join the ESD, Earth Space Defense. ESD, Earth Space Defense. That's that's pretty cool. U.S. Army is putting it out there for their Space Force advertisements. Hmm. Once they have the space, they control the air. They can pull it off. They can definitely pull it off. Right now, they have the technology to mimic the form, fit, and function of extraterrestrial UFOs. They have the technology, absolutely. It's seamless, and you can never tell the difference. If they do have a false flag invasion, they're going to use one of these. This is the Hudson Valley Boomerang. This is 1982 to 1989. Over 25,000 eyewitnesses reported this craft. They can use these saucers, the cigars, the pyramids, the triangles as a united coalition. And that's how they're, they're going to do it. But we're talking about 150 to 172 feet across for the wingspan, which is the identical wingspan of the B-2 stealth bomber. So the question we need to ask is, was some of that 22.4 billion used on the B-2 poured into this program? It's the exact same time frame when they power up and when they accelerate. Um, it looks like a spark off a grinding wheel, and you could never know the difference. So if they wanted to hoax an alien invasion, they could do it. They started doing all kinds of psychological warfare entrainment of the public by staging hoaxed events. Secret weapons to a quiet war is what they're talking about in this stuff. Such as cattle mutilations. Oh, it's Flying Saucer who did that. It's a covert paramilitary program, human. So if you wanted to start indoctrinating people into a false threat from outer space that Werner von Braun warned us about. You would start staging events that look alien, but that are completely man-made, that are scary, and scare the hell out of people. UFO encounters are categorized into four groups. Close encounters of the fourth kind include people who claim to have been abducted by extraterrestrials. If you had a close encounter of the fourth kind and you are back, we're anxious to hear from you inner stage left you got these uh, sort of anti-gravity devices with creatures that look like ets that are actually man-made robotic systems they're called programmed life forms and you start doing select interfaces with the public we did do that yes uh, osi did that there was a special group 
out of uh, the 7602nd Air Intel Wing at Fort Belvoir. They came out and did that. They uh, had these uh, people that had maybe some sort of defects, uh, anthonomical defects that were uh, brought, brought in to, 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 to fool people and thinking they're aliens. Yeah. Um, I can't give you any specifics because it's still, the program is still classified and they're, they're probably still doing it. I wouldn't doubt, doubt that they were still doing it. So they've already got this psychological warfare already embedded into the minds of people to expect an extraterrestrial, not a secret aircraft, but an alien craft. So when they do pull this, they'll all already have everything ready to roll. These civilians got onto the base and, and got into something. They saw something they weren't supposed to see. And this group came out and went into their home and scared the dickens out of them. And staged an alien yeah, Exactly. The government will use the extraterrestrial phenomenon to cover their own deep black programs. And so that's the fight that we're up against here. And that's the new world order. That's the elites, the system, putting us on our heels and trying to deflect and utilize the UFO agenda. And if you remember, Phil Schneider said the alien agenda and the human agenda is one and the same. And that's to depopulate the earth by, he said, 2029. But Agenda 30 came out uh, to top off, to add to the Agenda 21, which 21 is when the vaccines came out and that they want to be uh, down to 95% before uh, a population perished before 2030. So line up for the shot, and that's where you're heading. And then it makes it out through the movie industry and the UFO lore and the internet and what have you, and it starts creating the specter of a threat. The fact that you and I are still breathing the free air of Earth is abundant testimony to their restraint and non-hostility. Now the question is, how are these civilizations viewing us? Are they perceiving human civilization as a threat? And the answer is yes. Because I believe we've reached the point where we're a threat not only to our planet and each other, but we're also developing weapon systems that are potentially a threat in space. I just hope that uh it's not like Independence Day. Yeah, right. That it's, uh, you know, a, a conflict. Well, now we have friends. Maybe the only way to unite this incredibly divided world of ours. They're out there. We better think of how all the differences among people on Earth would seem small if we felt threatened by a space invader. That's the whole theory of Independence Day. You're right. You're Everybody right. Everybody gets together and makes nice and, you know. You and Bill O'Reilly would be hiding in a bunker together. <laughs> The most dangerous thing going on on the planet today isn't ISIS, it's not Iraq, it's not Russia, it's not China. It's a out of control, covert group that is not being overseen by the people, the Congress, or the President who have developed these technologies and are recklessly using them to track and target extraterrestrial vehicles. The result of this is that we're in a crisis that is unacknowledged, ironically, because these projects are unacknowledged. What do you do? Do you talk to your congressman? New world order. Do you march on the White House lawn? The what system. What is that going to do if the people who run this government don't have access to the programs? They're not cleared for it. So that's just not the direction to go. We better not get this one wrong because this could be a threat 
to all life on Earth if we, if we are reckless with this issue. We need wise elders that are humans dealing with this situation, and the sociopaths that are in control of those programs can't be allowed to speak for planet Earth and for humanity. Resting power from the hands of these powerful oligarchs and corporations is going to require a revolution. Or the deep dive for truth, a federation, at least stand up to it. One of the more hopeful events that happened over the last decade was what I call the French Initiative. I get a letter from the Ministry of Defense, and it's dated 16th of January, 2007, urgent. And it's signed by Admiral Pierre Morin. And he was in charge of providing briefings on this issue for then President of the French Republic, Sarkozy. They learned protocols to make contact with these civilizations for peaceful engagement. So here you have a major country, a nuclear power, making a commitment to do this. And we eventually go to France, and under the cover of a public event, the Admiral and his assistants are there, and we do our, the protocols for contact. And they track ET craft coming overhead at 200,000 kilometers an hour. But what it shows is that governments around the world can actually do a lot if they wanted to, to break the mold of secrecy and do something helpful. And this is the proof that that's happened with a major country. This is arguably the most important UFO document in history. The irony of it is I couldn't disclose it for quite a while until that president, Sarkozy, was out of office and these folks were not in harm's way. There was an invitation extended from the Vatican to some 40 world scientists to come to Castle Gandolfo outside of Rome where the Pontifical Observatory is. And they spent a week briefing the highest level uh, members of the Vatican. They came out with an official press statement. Extraterrestrial life is going to be discovered much sooner than anybody had previously expected. And for this reason, the time has now arrived for the beginning of a very serious discussion about the philosophical and theological questions that are posed to our human family by the discovery of extraterrestrial life. There are civilizations that we need to communicate with. And I think we've reached that point in our evolution as a, as a human race that we need to recognize that. And the thing that disturbs me is that the U.S., is going to be a third world nation in, in that field if we're not careful by having all of the secrecy and refusing to set up any kind of diplomatic protocol. That's Franklin Carter, former U.S. Navy electronics technician. Calls as, as I know that you have called for and I believe in very strongly. The biggest event in the history of humankind is the discovery that we are not alone, that there are other living entities, intelligent entities, in this universe or other universes, and that we are here alone. That's a huge, enormous discovery. I think it's long past time to open this up to the public. Give us information to the young people of the world in this country. They want to hear it. They want it. Give it to them. Don't hide it and tell lies and make stories. They're not stupid. They're not uh, young men that will panic. UFOs are as real as the planes flying over your head. That's Paul Hellier, former Minister of Defense for Canada. 
and uh, that it's time that uh, the United States government started uh, coming clean on what it's all about because uh, there are very important military and, uh, and economic issues uh, that have to be addressed. And how can you address a question which uh, relates to a subject that people don't even exi uh, really won't admit exists? And it's, it's a mission that we as the baby boomer generation pass on to you. Humanity is at a crossroads. A choice between endless war, war in space, growing poverty and environmental destruction, or a future where we explore the stars, live in peace with each other and our planetary neighbors. The technology is there. The solutions to Earth's urgent and long-term potential problems are there. The technologies will change the macroeconomic system. Because visualize for a moment, you're at your home, all your power needs are being provided from one of these zero-point or quantum vacuum energy systems. Your car is running, never has to be plugged in. You then can have agriculture and manufacturing locally that has very little cost to it. And this is not just in the U.S., but in places that aren't yet developed, so-called third world or developing world, they're going to leapfrog right over the smokestack industries and go to high tech, real high tech, just like they've skipped over telephone lines and gone to smartphones. This will be a tie that will lift all ships. The world will be increasingly interconnected, and yet on the local level, it be completely self-sufficient, every village, every home. This is something that is the biggest change economically in the history of the human race. It's a big nut to crack, but I think that if you could do that, I think that people would stop looking at each other with a certain level of hostility like we do now. I guess it's kind of corny, but it's that bright future that I see that we could all attain if just a few things could be changed. Imagine interplanetary trade, how exciting that would be. You have to adjust your cosmology, you have to adjust your whole concept of, of our human species being at the apex of all bio, biological evolution in the universe. And you also have to, of course, modify your judgment that the entire universe was created just as the stage upon which the drama of the human development is unfolding. But there's a lot more going on in the universe than just that. This is why it's time for the people to lead the whole ending of the secrecy and do the disclosure. Federation of Truth. Join the Federation. Are we the people? The people of the world? All of you? We can make a difference. Just start nudging. As we, the human family, confront the reality of extraterrestrial life, it is perhaps worthwhile to reflect. Was our doubt really due to a lack of evidence? Or merely a lack of imagination. And that being said, on a positive note, we do have the ability to change the world. Uh, this is Big T for Truth and the Deep Dive for Truth team. Thanking you all for tuning in. And uh, again, go to our website, join us, Federation of Truth, or go to our Patreon and listen to our <clears throat> episodes that are coming out. Uh, this is a bonus feature that I threw out there. Uh, anybody that's interested in that, seeing that actual episode of what was on it was basically one of the coverages of the alien whole agenda and bringing us into the human agenda and that that right there was a lot of um intel and if you want to watch it 
email me or uh, chat me up on my website, and uh, I'll tell you, you know, we can watch that whole thing and see a lot of spectacular uh, galaxies and interstellar space, aliens, all that good stuff. Um, it was pretty cool. Thanks again for listening. God, family, country, be part of the human species, and until the next time, be safe, everybody. Peace. The Deep Dive for Truth team is about digging for the truth. The truth about topics that may or may not be based in reality, but based in the control and manipulation and misguidings of our species by the system. The system that is not for the human species, but for the entitled ones of the human race. If we are going to make a change, we need to do this collectively, using the system against them. Knowledge resources, species building. We will not be controlled by any government, media, or status group. We will be for you, the human race. We will need your support to tackle this endeavor. We will do this with or without you, but the only way to challenge the system is with everyone's support. There will be connecting topics to show the thread of truth from beginning to the end. Throughout our series, we will be having some fun hoping that the system may not notice us at all, mainly AI. Hidden in the information, we will remove the blindfold obstructing the truth. That truth will be unveiled to those who really want to know everything about the removal of 90% of the human race. Binary code messages play on words within the jokes, the jests, and the possibilities were proposed. Again, this is fiction. The system is watching. You will be informed as to who, what, where, and why the world is the way it is. You'll find out where we are heading and the possibilities of hope and change for our species. The nature of our existence is to gain knowledge. When you follow us to the end, you will become an ambassador of truth. You will be able to spread a warning to our kind. You will be able to spread a message of hope, life, and a future for our species. If you want to follow someone who has been digging deep dives for 35 years and has threaded the needle of truth, and who has put the big picture together, then this is for you. Remember, you may not always like what you see, but you will be able to see and sense what is the truth around you. It is time for the great awakening. This is Big T for Truth and the Deep Dive for Truth team. Do you want to know more?